Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get talking again about our um, series that we've been looking at about change and uh, how to go about change, uh, what uh, takes place in a person's life. We've been talking about doctrine as one of those four steps um, based off of 2 Timothy 3, where he says specifically that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And we've been taking a look at those uh, uh, four items, and we're going to kind of wrap up the issue of uh, doctrine and teaching and why that is an important part of uh, the, the process of making a change in your life. If you're unlearned and you don't know uh, what is right and what is wrong, you don't know how to fix it, you don't know what God says, that change is going to be much more difficult because then you have to base it off of what you think, uh, opinions, society, family members, friends, and uh, whatever the television tells you. And uh, all of those sources, if they're not from God, are um, are going to give you some problems as we've seen uh, as we go through this. But let's go ahead and pray first and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again, Lord, that we can come here this uh, middle of the week and uh, just receive some instruction from you. I thank you again, Lord, uh, for what you give to us in your word, that you've uh, perfectly preserved it and inspired it for us, that, Lord, we can take these things and we can use them in a way that would glorify and honor you and please you in our day-to-day life. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to look at these things, that we will uh, just retain them, that uh, we will use them in such a way that uh, our behaviors, our thoughts, our desires are oriented according to you and your word, what your Holy Spirit leads us into. And Lord, that we would just come to that understanding that we need to be led of the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit in order to do that, which does is honoring and uh, uh, glorifying to you in your name. I pray, Lord, that you just be with me, speak through me tonight. Uh, just give me strength, focus, and clarity uh, that this time will be honoring unto you and your word. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Turn over to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I quoted uh, the verse that we've been using out of 2 Timothy 3. Um, and again, that's one of our main verses that we're looking at, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. But in, in Colossians chapter 1, um, I want to take a, 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 a brief pause to talk about this before we close out doctrine about when it comes to this uh, this pre this principle of what doctrinal teaching is um you know if uh, if there is a church that is around that does not have doctrinal teaching they're 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 really missing out on one of the most important things that they're supposed to be doing and that is a scriptural concept where he tells us that we are supposed to preach that doctrine those that are are our preachers and pastors and teachers, uh, those are things that are supposed to be there. Now, and now I say that because I want us to understand that this is not just limited to somebody that's in a pulpit or somebody that's teaching a Sunday school or something of that nature. That we can actually learn through the Holy Spirit uh, by us reading the Word of God, and we should have a desire to be taught, Sometimes people are self-taught. They, they they teach themselves how to do certain things. They do a trial and error, and they work, and they work, and they work to do that. 
Before the advent of YouTube, many times that's exactly how it worked. You wanted to learn how to do something, you had to figure it out yourself. I remember uh, my first car it was a Volvo, 1975 Volvo. And uh, it had some things that I had to fix. And then my second car, 1976 Volvo, I upgraded. Um, and it uh, it had things I had to fix. I remember I had to replace the starter on it. And uh, I found out, that, you know, I got all ready, got the car jacked uh, um, up in the air, was getting ready, crawled underneath there. I'm looking for the starter. I see the starter. And the only way to get through for one of the starters is you had to have this extension on your uh, um, your, your wrench that was this long. I was like, good grief. I don't have that. So I had to go to somebody to actually have them, uh, you know, fix that and repair it. And, you know, I'm like, here's the starter that I bought. I can't put it on because I don't have that tool. So, you know, there was these things that I learned of myself. I learned how to change my own spark plugs, distributor caps and wires, how to change air filter on the car, how to do basic maintenance, how to change a timing belt and how to change serpentine belts and just some simple things that, 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 that I thought I should know if I was going to have a car to own. Now, obviously that right now that has like no application to my car right now <laughs> because it doesn't have any of those things, but it still was something that I sought out to learn and I would ask people, I would ask questions, I would engage in that way. So when we're talking about this principle of doctrinal teaching, we have to understand that that is our responsibility. We can't just say, okay, well, that's that's the responsibility of the church to teach me doctrine. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's your responsibility. The church does have a responsibility to teach it, but it's your responsibility to look for it, to seek it, to desire it, to have those things. And so many times people just blame other individuals on it, and and sometimes they'll blame the church, they'll blame uh, uh, um, you know a teacher, or they'll blame who this or that or something of that nature. But it, it becomes very apparent and very clear that the problem is is that person never sought that out. They never sought it out. And as and, and any Christian that goes through and reads the Bible understands, doctrine is a very important thing to God. He talks about doctrine a lot. Now, again, when we talk about doctrine, we're not talking about, you know, Daniel and Revelation and uh, how Habakkuk fits in there along with Malachi and things of that nature. We're talking about things that are also including application. How do I live this life? How do I make a change? How uh, do I do what pleases God? How do I transform my mind? How do I renew it? How, you know, those things, the how-to's. So when we look at this, you know, obviously we're seeing some things here in Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to take a look at verses 9 through 11. And it says here, Paul, as he's writing to them, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. That's an important principle. It's a good doctrinal principle to understand, too. Prayer is a form of doctrine. You need to make sure you're praying. Uh, and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That is, if you will, kind of a definition of what doctrine is. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Again, there we are, pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work. Again, having some product in our life. And increasing in the knowledge of God. And there it is in growth. So we begin to see here that this is the desire that God wants. And the reason behind that we find in verse 11 where he talks about 
strengthened with all might. This is how we deal with those day-to-day situations. This is how we deal with them, if you will, in the long term, that long haul that we were talking about last week. Strengthen with all, all, with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Everybody likes to just exclude that last part with all the patience and long suffering. They, they want to ignore that. They, they go straight for the joyful part, but you know, they don't realize that in order to really truly have joy, there has to be patience and long suffering. And that doesn't sound like a joyful thing. It's something that we think is is against it, but God's clearly pointing out, no, you really want to have some joy in your life. You better learn what patience is. You better learn how to suffer long in things. But, you know, I, I digress in that because then that's going to get into the minutia of, of this verse, but I want to talk about it in the overall principle of where he's talking about goals that we can attain. In our Christian life, goals that we can attain. And when we look at this, we look at what we were talking about last week with the long-term and the immediate. And if we look at what he's talking about here, he's not only talking about something that is in an immediate sense of how to correct a wrong right now, but also how to correct that wrong and stay clear from that wrong so that we have the correct process, if you will, the correct actions and behavior in our life of pleasing God. That's what, that's what God's desire is. So we see all of that included here. <coughs> Pardon me. In this, uh, in this example. Um, I'll give you an example that is, uh, sometimes used when, 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 uh, people talk about counseling and talk about, uh, uh, how to go about counseling people and counseling for the long term. There's an example. A pastor is counseling, um, a, a man about, uh, debt. He, he racked up, uh, you know, uh, um, tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And, and, uh, he went to the, the pastor and, and said, I, I need to, to get some advice and how to deal with this. And, and they walk through the biblical principles of, uh, stewardship and money and finances and what that all meant. Uh, he learned a lot. He began to change some of his patterns and his behaviors. And uh, the next thing you know is he's eventually got that debt paid off and he's so excited and he, he comes back to the pastor and he says, well, I guess we're done with counseling now. And the pastor's like, are you sure about that? Well, yeah, the problem's fixed. He's, yeah, but, but, but when, when, when it comes to the time again and you're pressured into spending money you don't have, are you going to be able to withstand that temptation? And he's like, but, but, but the problem's fixed. I don't, I don't get it. He's like, no, no, no. We need to learn how to do this in a continual process. He's like, yeah, but I have, I have discretionary money now that I can spend and I can spend it however I want without going into that. And he's like, yeah, but what happens when that discretionary money disappears? What happens when that discretionary money gets spent and now you're, you're entering into that temptation? How are you going to be strengthened in all his power to, to face that temptation so that you know how to escape it? And he says, so what should I do, pastor? And the pastor says, well, let's sit down and let's come up with a plan. He says, and I'm just giving this as an example that was given in, in that case study. Um, as an example, he said, I, what I want you to do is I want you to learn how to do without that discretionary money. 
So I want you to take that discretionary money and I want you to pledge it in, into a Christian organization, a missionary, whatever it is, and you're giving that all to him. That discretionary money is all going straight to God and then you don't have it. So you know how to learn to live within your means. Now, that's a long-term change. That's something that when we look at here that Paul is setting up, he's saying, look, you know, well, this is our prayer. This is what we're wanting uh, to do is we're wanting to make sure that you know his will, that you understand it, that you have the knowledge of it for the purpose of that you're going to walk worthy of pleasing him and you're going to be strengthened for that fight that's going to come later on. Just because you win one battle doesn't mean the war is over. War is The war is over when you're dead. Or you're raptured out of here, okay? <clears throat> that, that, that's, that's, that's the, 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 if you will, the sad fact of it. But I don't think of it as a sad fact because I look at it and I say, well, that's all more for the glory of God. We shouldn't look at our life as, you know, some long depressing thing. We should look at it as, okay, I have opportunities throughout my life to give God glory, uh, even in ways that are, that are here in scripture that we see. So again, we look at this mindset and we look at this concept about how, how to, how to live, if you will, this learning process about learning under pressure. Learning under pressure. Sometimes you have to learn quick. You're in a situation you've never been in your entire life and you don't have time to stop and Google an answer. What do you do? You gotta make a decision. You gotta make a snap decision. You have to learn how to do that under pressure. Now, at that point in time, that is not the time to sit down and say, man, I really need to start reading my Bible. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're way behind on that one. You should have done that way before you got to that situation. Because you're wanting to know his will, his will being doctrine, if you will, how to do it, the way he wants it done. And we need to learn how to face pressure. Because sometimes you're going to be learning under pressure and you're going to be learning while you, that pressure, you see it barreling down on you. Well, again, you now have time to react. And all of these things are what we see is the principle of doctrinal uh, 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 um, teaching and doctrinal learning is so that those situations, we will have that answer. We'll be able to answer scripturally how to do that, scripturally how to handle it. Most people's lives fall apart when they don't have an answer. They don't have an answer. Probably the best way I heard it described was with uh, Sam Gipp. And he was talking about, uh, to some pastors, he was talking about uh, having certain things uh, ready and prepared, like uh, having an attorney, uh, having certain plans in place, and so on and so forth, um, should certain things happen. He says, you know, because what happens is, is you, you, you know, you go into the kitchen and you see that uh, you've left something on the stove and it's now on fire. And your brain, you know, and this is, in, if you will, in slow motion, registers and looks at it. Your eyes see it. Your nose smells it. Your face feels it. And you go, oh, that's a fire. 
maybe I should do something. Your brain then is going to go to, is, as, he, as Sam Gipman described it, this giant file cabinet, and you pull it open, and you start going through. F, okay, here we are. What do we do? Feet smell. Uh, fire. And when you pull out that folder, and you open that folder, and that folder is blank, you know what happens? Yeah. People panic. People panic, people lose control, and they don't know what to do. And they're just like, ah! Where the one guy walks over and he grabs the, the thing of baking soda and he just goes, Phew. and the fire goes out. Well, why was that? Because he had something in the folder. Same thing is true with a Christian. Same thing is true with a Christian. Many times Christians get, enter into panic mode and create uh, uh, an unnecessary anxiety and an unnecessary fear because they open the folder and there's nothing in there. They open their folder. What do I do when a loved one passes away? What do I do when I lose my job? What do I do when I'm in the hospital? What do I do when I'm in a car wreck? What do I do? I mean, all of these things. What What do you do? And then you look at some people and, 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 and you watch them and, and their reactions aren't the same. You ever notice that? Some people, something happens to them and it's just like, you know, they come unglued. You know, you're over there trying to, to, to mop up the, the, you know, their tears off the floor and you need bigger and bigger buckets because they're freaking out. And then there's some people, You know, you, you swear they're flatlined because they have peace. How they respond. They may cry. They may sorrow. They may have a little anxiety. They may have a fear that comes on them, but then they turn that fear into exactly what they're supposed to do with it. And you see, and you're just like, man, you're like a rock. And they're like, no, I'm not the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. That's my peace. That's my foundation. So when the wind and the waves and the rain and the floods come, I'm standing sure. I, I, I have a rock that I stand on. So, I mean, again, these are principles that we begin to learn about why biblical teaching is important. So, so let's just ask this question. When should biblical teaching, stuff for the long haul and stuff for the immediate, uh, um, when should that be done? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn over the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> book over uh, the book of Deuteronomy in chapter six. <clears throat> We're going to take a look at a couple of passages here: Deuteronomy six and Deuteronomy eleven. <clears throat> and 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 this is a, a, a very good principle. It's an Old Testament principle that has an extreme value for today. Extreme value. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1, it says, Now these are the commandments and statutes uh, and, ju- and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. Ah, okay. That you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. So they had to be taught it so they knew how to do it. You can't just expect somebody to do something that they're not taught. Yeah, sometimes that happens. People will look at other Christians and they'll go, well, why didn't they do that? Because they've never been taught. 
That was an opportunity to teach. That was an opportunity to, to, to edify, to encourage. In verse 2, it says, That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that uh, ye might uh, may increase mightily, as the Lord of thy uh, fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth milk, milk and honey. Now that promise is for Israel, not for the church. We don't have a physical promise like that, but the principles of the blessings of God are applicable to our life, not necessarily these things of financial gain. We're not teaching prosperity theory. That's not, that's not how this works. Verse four it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Well, where were they quoting that when they were quoting it over there in the gospels? Right from here. Right from here. And he says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now look at this in verse seven. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets before thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give the great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards, and olives trees which thou plantest not, and when thou shalt have eaten, and be full. He says, Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He says, Look, first thing you got to do is you got to learn these principles so you don't forget. You got to learn what God is teaching in the law and in in those commandments so you don't forget him. Those things are constantly there. He says, I want them in front of your eyes all the time. I want you talking about it all the time, coming out of your mouth. I want it written on those posts all the time. Now, at this point in time, I want you to understand, they didn't have houses. They They had tents. They had tents. I'll use the Aldridge's as an example. You go in some of their camping tents and their hunting tents, and what do you find written on the walls? Stuff that God has done for them. Stuff that God has done for them. Stuff that they don't ever want to forget. So every time they pull that tent out and they put that tent up, they look at that and they remember what God did. So they don't forget. They don't forget. Can you imagine this? Here they are every time they got to move. You know, the cloud begins to move and they're like, oh, everybody pack up. And they're packing up and they're getting all their stuff. And the father grabs the post and, and, and the son grabs the other end of the post and looks at it and says, what is that on there? And he says, well, this is the time that God did something great for us. Let's put that over there. Is there one on each post? Yeah. They start packing up things in the house. Daughter comes and asks and, and says, what, what, what is that above the door? Well, that's, that's something that God told us that we need to make sure that we remember to do. It's something that is a continual teaching process. 
I want you to take a look further down into the chapter in verse 20 and 25, or 20 through 25. It says, and when thou uh, thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? You know, there's going to come a time where the children are going to ask, what do you mean the Bible? What do you mean God said no? What do you mean he's got a law of liberty and a law of Christ? What does that mean? There will come a time. It says, and when, not if, and when. In verse 21, it says, Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and sore upon Egypt, uh, upon Pharaoh, upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in and give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. The reason that you want to learn about what God tells you to do and do it the right way is for your good. It's not, God's not a killjoy. Because he is the one that gives joy. He's not a fun smasher. Well, well, well I want to go and do this with my friends, and, and, and it wouldn't be fun if we brought up God. Then you don't need to be there. It's that simple. If all of a sudden everybody has a problem with God being brought up, then that's probably the wrong crowd. But here he is, he's saying it's it's for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. He says, you know, the reason we're alive is because we follow these commandments. Somebody that drives drunk 100 miles an hour and smashes into a guardrail, they're not alive because they disobeyed a law. Multiple laws. And I'm not even talking about the laws of the state of Washington. I'm talking about God's laws. First and foremost, they violated those. And it says in verse 25, And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. It's like we're learning to do the right thing here. This is why we do these things. Because we don't want to do the wrong thing. You ever take a test and you're, you, you, you've got a question on that test and you're pretty sure you know the answer, but one of the answers is worded so it sounds like it's the right answer and you're reading the two very careful, two answers very carefully on the multiple choice and you're like, ooh, like tricky. And you're trying to, and you're trying to do that and you're trying to figure it out and then you go down at the bottom and you see if there's an A and B and, or all of the above or something of that nature. You're looking for something like that because you, you, you want some prompts and help, but you know there's only one that you can select. How many of us want to select the wrong one? It's a test. It's important. Nobody wants to select the wrong one. Why is it that people want to select the wrong thing in in in, in life? That's going to hinder them. That's going to cause death. Many times it's because they don't know. But also it's because they're defined against God. Doctrine is something that you learn at every aspect. 
mean, look at what he says here. He, back over there, he, he's talking about, you know, when your kids ask about it. Why are they going to ask about it? Because you got it written all over the place. You've got it all over the, 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 the house and, and the gates and you've got it as frontlets before your eyes and, <laughs> and you're always talking about it. You're talking about it when you're in, in the home. You're talking about it when you're outside the home. You're talking about it when you're going to sleep and you're talking about it in the morning when you get up. Doctrine is not a Sunday, midweek, or Sunday school thing. It's an all day, every day, multiple times a day, teaching and training. Learning process. Learning process. Turn over to chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 11. Take a look at what he says here in verse... Uh, oh, I don't want to read that far. Let's go uh, verse 18. <clears throat> He says, therefore, ye shall lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be frontlets between your eyes. And they shall teach them, uh, you shall teach them to uh, your, your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates that your days may be multiplied and your day, the days of your children. In the land which your Lord uh, swear, the which the Lord uh, swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. He says, for if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, uh, uh, to love the Lord thy, uh, your Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways, notice it's all his ways, and to cleave unto him. Then will the Lord drive out all these nations before you and you shall possess a greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereupon your soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours from the wilderness and uh, Lebanon, from the river and, uh, from the, the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. You realize you just told exactly what the nation of Israel's land grant was right there. Where is the river Euphrates? This is why it's important to study geography. What country? Iraq. Is Israel even anywhere close to occupying any territory in Iraq at all? Well, he says the, the, the coast of the sea. Well, we're talking about the Mediterranean. They're pushed up right against it. But he's talking about all the way into the wilderness. He's talking about the wilderness... All the way down to Sinai. Down into Saudi Arabia. All the way up into Lebanon. That eliminates quite a few countries, doesn't it? He says, that's all yours. If you just do what you're told. That's the covenant he made with them. Now, we don't have that covenant. That's for Israel. But I can definitely see some principles there. You want to defeat a giant in your life? You want to defeat a, 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 a giant of sin or a major sin problem or a major uh, sinful habit that has to be broken? Um, th- this is how you do it. You got to love the Lord your uh, Lord your God. You got to walk in all His ways. You got to cleave to Him. And you got to keep the commandments that He tells you to do. You got to treasure this word. You do things like that. The Lord will take care of those giants for you. Just like David and Goliath. 
He'll handle it. Just as he's always done. I can give you a testimony of that in my own life, and there's many others that can do that. But the idea and the concept that we see here is that that teaching part is necessary so that this stuff happens. So it happens in our children's life. So it happens in the lives of our neighbors. So it happens in our lives so that we're pleasing unto God. See, all these laws and ordinances that we find over in the Old Testament, you know, obviously they're all pointing to Jesus Christ as we've been seeing some of that in uh, in uh, the Sunday morning services. But the, the, the laws and the ordinances, you know what? Every single one of them created an opportunity to teach. Every one of them created an opportunity to teach. What does that mean? What does that mean? You go through, you go through and read Leviticus. What does that mean? Seriously, what does that mean? (laughs) You gotta go through and, and look at those things. And what is it? It's an opportunity to teach. To teach what Christ has done for us and what Christ is trying to teach us to do. So we see a lot of those principles that are there. I mean, have you ever asked that question? Why do we do this? Why? I mean, why do we get together like this? Right now, this is not popular. It isn't. Most people are not wanting to come back after COVID, not because they're afraid of catching COVID or whatever flu or monkeypox is out there, but, you know, <clears throat> never mind on that one. But you understand what I'm saying. Is, is It's not because of that. It's because they're like, well, you know, I can go worship wherever. Well, I understand that. But there's more to church than just worship. You can't edify yourself. I mean, you could, but it doesn't really work that well. How do you encourage one another? How do you comfort one another? Those are all commandments. How do you bear one another's burdens if if, if somebody isn't in church? We begin to see the principles that God, te- you know, teaches us throughout scripture and we ask questions like, well, why do I do this? And why do I do that? Now there's some things that are tradition. There's some things that are tradition. You know, suit and tie, tradition. Don't, you don't preach that from, you know, the, the, the Bible. You go over to Hawaii and I guarantee you those guys are not preaching in suits and ties. They, they got lighter clothes on. Because it's hot. But, you know, you, you, you look at all of that, and, and there's, there's principles and there's reasons with, with some of those things, with modesty and so on and so forth. But what I want to express is this, is we have to look at why those things exist. Why do we pray? Why do I read the Bible? Not in defiance, but to teach yourself. Why are these things important in my life? Why is it necessary? And as God says here, hey, there's blessings that follow with that. Other people benefit from it. Charity. Charity. I tell you, one of the things that is probably the best thing that you can ever do in your life is learn to assign yourself homework. And, 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 and don't, 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 don't be one of the ones that flakes out on it. Assign yourself homework. 
say, you know, I'm going to study this out. I'm going to research this. I'm going to talk to people about this. I'm going to see what the Bible says. Study to show thyself approved. Unto God. Workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We see very clearly that God is demonstrating to us that we have to take those principles of teaching and learning things of doctrine very seriously in our life. You want a real change, the first thing you have to do is you have to stop with a doc or start with a doctrine and start saying, okay, where wherein is the doctrine for this applicable situation? Where Where is it at? Maybe something as you're reading through Scripture and you come across a part of a doctrine and you go, oh man, I can see that happening in a situation in my life or a situation that I've seen in other people's life. Well, what is the, what is the biblical response to that? Assign yourself homework and find it. You know, a lot of times, I will tell you this, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to study because you're going to need it. Don't sit there and go, ah, it's never going to happen to me. <laughs> Famous last words. <clears throat> Famous last words. Let's go back over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's talk about this, uh, this next part. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> and in verse 16, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good works. So let's talk about reproof. Reproof. I guarantee you that most people, when they hear that word reproof, they kind of go, I think I might know what it means. But not a lot of people do. I, at one point, I, I a while ago, I asked people to, to give a, a, a definition one time. This was a while ago. Um, I just wanted for my own personal homework assignment, if you will. And I, I asked a couple of people, I'm like, what do you think the definition of reproof is? And I had some people just kind of like, well, <laughs> you know, just that, that no, no idea. I never even thought about the word. It's just kind of one of those words that they are like, well, I know what the meaning is. Okay, what's the meaning? Well, you know. No, I don't. I'm asking you. What's the meaning? Well, you know. No, I don't. What's the meaning? I mean, when we take a look at that word and, and we think about reproof, and, and, and you know, obviously, we can see that there's a root word of proof that's there. So we know that there's something about it that's evidential. There's something that it's showing that's there. And when we take a look at that word reproof. We, we realize that 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 actually has to do with disapproval. It, it, it deals with, if you will, rejection. Turn over to the book of John. John chapter 3. <clears throat> I'm going to take a look and explore this uh, definition of reproof just for, for a couple of moments before we get into it really heavily. <clears throat> God has a lot to say about it, whether it's in reprove or reproof form. He He, he talks about it. John chapter 3, and here he is talking to Nicodemus, and we know John 3.16. How about John 3.20? 
For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. What is it happening there? It's being revealed that it is something that is unacceptable. It's something that's unacceptable. Now, the Word of God will clearly point out what is unacceptable in your life. I mean, it, it, it will show it. Uh, again, that's actually, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's job. If you go over to John chapter 16, since we're in the book of John, we'll grab this one real quick. John chapter 16 and uh, jump down to verse 8, talking about the Holy Spirit. He calls him the comforter in verse 7. He says, and when he is come, the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of judgment, or excuse me, of righteousness and judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. That's that's the Holy Spirit's job description. That's part of it. He's the one that comes up and gets in, in our face and reproves us and says, you sinned. What do we call that? Conviction. The word of God will convict. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will use somebody to say something that will convict. Sometimes it's just, you know, that, that immediate conscience uh, response, that word that's, you know, the, the law that's written in our hearts. I mean, and this is this is one of the biggest arguments that people have when they start talking about morality and how morality came about, and they can't they can't figure out how morality evolved into the evolutionary process. Because if it's survival of the fittest, and nature's picking the best, then why do we still have some of the worst? Why are things that are out there that are, are, are quote unquote, uh, um, you know, redundant or unnecessary, as people will often think? Where does it come that there's a morality of you shouldn't take another person's life? Well, I'll tell you right now, all of that's going out the window. People don't care about people's lives anymore. They don't even want to, they want to describe life as if you're viable. I know a lot of people in this world that are not viable, and they're still upright and breathing. <laughs> they, they really are. They're not viable people. <laughs> and you're like, so does that give me the right to go and kill them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, as long as they can take care of themselves. Excuse me for a second, but there's a whole sling of nursing homes that might have an objection to that. About individuals that are, that have a, a, a relative or a child that is mentally handicapped or is, uh, has a disability that they can't move and they're in a wheelchair, but they're still alive. Why is it that those people are always the most happiest too? It's kind of interesting to see that. They're just, they're happy. A lot of them I meet, they're just happy. They're just happy. They're, they're living a life that we would look at and go, man, that's that, that, that's horrible. And they're just happier than a clam. Well, maybe that's conviction. <laughs> maybe we can learn to live with a lot less. Maybe we need to learn to be thankful with a lot more. Content with what we have. 
But here we take a look at this and we begin to realize that he's saying I'm, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to reprove the world of sin. He's going to show it. He's going to reveal it. That light is going to show those things. He's going to come and say, look, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. And the world's going to go, what, that's sin? Yes. That's sin? Yes. I never knew that. Well, since it's in the Bible. Well, I never read that. That's not an excuse. God says they're not without, that they're without excuse. We start looking at this and we realize that, that even if you go back to the etymology of the word reprove and reproof, that you find that it becomes the opposite of, uh, um, if you will, uh, um, to, 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 uh, to, to prove something that's opposite. Basically, when you look at the word reproof, it's to show you failed to meet a standard. You're not worthy. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We failed on that standard. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. What we try to do that's righteous comes out horribly wrong. Because if it's not done with God, it's never going to meet the standard. If Jesus Christ isn't present, it's never going to meet the standard. If the Holy Spirit isn't working in our life, it's never going to meet the standard. If it doesn't please God the Father, it's never going to meet His standard. If it's not according to the Word of God, it's never going to meet the standard. So we begin to find that this idea of reproof starts showing that there's a standard that's violated, that there's a disapproval and a rejection of those actions from God. And it also clearly points out where the fault lies. Man, people are so quick to blame everyone else. But if the man of God is going to be perfect, you know what one of the most important things is? Accountability. Responsibility. And owning up to what they've done. Reproof is doing that. Reproof shows where that fault lies in our life. Reproof shows where the blame really is. It holds us accountable. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6. Take a look at what he says here in verse 23. It says, For the commandment is a lamp... And the law is a light. Very familiar stuff that we've just talked about and stuff that we know that's in the book of Psalms. And it says, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You ever have a teacher that hands you something and says you did it wrong? And you go, what, what, what did I do wrong? And they go, you need to figure it out. That's a bad teacher. That's, No. What a real good teacher does, here's where you went wrong. You know, that's why they want you to write those math problems out. The reason that they want you to write those math problems out is so that they can show you where you went wrong with the instructions.
And that's an important thing for us to realize. So when we are standing there and we're, you know, if you will, giving an account to God for what we've done with our life, there are going to be times he's going to reprove what we did because we didn't follow the instructions. Did David follow the instructions bringing the ark back the first time? Somebody died because of it. Did he follow instructions when he numbered Israel? A few thousand people died from it. Imagine living that with that on your conscience. I mean, we, we, we go through and we begin to realize that, that here God is teaching us something. He's saying these reproofs of instruction showing where you went wrong, showing where, where you failed in that is necessary. Why? Because it shows you the path of life. Didn't somebody tell you that you had failed in life because you had sin in your life? And didn't somebody tell you that you needed salvation from your sin because the wages of sin is death? And didn't somebody say that you couldn't pay for it yourself because it's not of works lest any man should boast? But then Jesus Christ was, came, God in the flesh, in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. And there he is giving of himself on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood for us to pay that payment, dying, but showing that the sin had no power over him and death had no dominion over him in that he rose again to conquer sin and conquer death and to spoil principalities and powers so that he could give us very clearly the eternal life that he wants to give. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody. Somebody told you you messed up. Somebody told you you had sin. And you had to trust Christ as your Savior and receive him Believe on him, call upon his name, and salvation came. Salvation came. Because that purchase price was already paid on the cross. Now praise God for that. That's a way of life. But the same thing is true in the Christian's life. You can live a life that feels like you're dead. Hollow. Without God. The day-to-day slog. The day-to-day, oh. The alarm clock goes off and you're just like instantaneous depression. I'll tell you this. There's probably a reproof of an instruction somewhere that you're missing. You're missing a sheet to that instruction. I build a lot of things with instructions. (laughs) I have a lot of instruction books at home. I have a whole tote of them couple totes of them. <laughs> and uh, I tell you, you know, sometimes you, you flip a page and, and, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, hold on a second. That doesn't look right. Because why? You flipped one too many pages. You skipped a step. You skipped a step and you can't, go, it doesn't make sense. What do you have to do? You have to go back if you want to build it the right way. If you want to build it the right way. And here we are, God's building. He's the wise master builder. He's going to teach us how to build it on that foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, and precious stones. But then sometimes we're going to choose our own wood, hay, and stubble because we think it looks better. It's easier to work with. You ever think about that? 
Gold, silver are really hard to work with. Why? Because they're metal. You gotta, you gotta purify it. You gotta refine it. It's costly. It's expensive. Wood, hay, and stubble is really cheap, and it's easy to work with. Precious stones, yeah, those are rocks. They're not moving. But God says we're to build with them. They take time to work with. A lot of care so that the beauty and the glory comes out. I mean, again, you know, I'm not trying to get into that. That's a whole other lesson in, in sermon series in its own right. But I'll tell you this, you know, God will show us that architecture blueprint. He will show us the instruction manual. He's given it to us in the Word of God. We can't skip those steps. Turn over to chapter 15 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 15. <clears throat> chapter 15 and verse 10. And we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and cut it off um, right there for, for the night. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 10. It says, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. Somebody that does not like having the word of God show where they're messed up in their life, where they've sinned, they're like, well, that's 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 not that's a horrible thing to say that somebody messed up in their life. Well, they did. They made a mess. Did the prodigal son make a mess of his life? Yeah, he found himself in a what? A pigsty, wallowing around with the pigs, desiring to eat garbage. He wasn't in his right mind because it said when he came to himself. I wonder how many times, maybe his brother, maybe his father, maybe his mother, maybe one of the servants, the hired servants, the chief servant said, what are you doing? Don't do that. Nope, I know what's best. Look, if a bunch of people come up to you and tell you it's probably not the right thing to do, <laughs> you might want to take that as a cue to investigate from the Word of God. Number one, if it is what you're doing is biblical, then you can reprove them. But if what you're doing is not biblical and they've reproved you, and now you're reproved from the Word of God, and conviction's there, you know you need to correct it. Somebody that hates that part of saying, I'm the one that did wrong. I'm the one that's accountable. I'm the one where the fault lies. That's a person, they, they love death. They love death. He makes it very clear right here that, you know, correction is grievous to him that forsaketh the way. Yeah, why? Because they've completely abandoned what God told them to do. And when they're corrected, they don't like it. They don't like it. Yeah, and look, I understand, you know, correction may seem grievous. I get that. But don't take it as, you know, some personal offense. What you do is you learn from it. Learn from the mistakes. You know, again, people are often taught that failure is a bad word. It's not. 
it means that you have messed up where you should have gone right and you got to go back and correct some stuff. You got to get an opportunity to learn from that. Just like why all those laws were written. Daddy, why are they stoning that man? Because he disobeyed God. How did he disobey God? He sassed his parents. Oh. <laughs> You're like, well, that's kind of harsh. Well, let's put it this way. If you don't respect parental authority, you'll never respect God's authority. So there's a problem. I'm talking about godly parents, okay? But the end result that we wind up seeing here is that God is teaching us something with reproof. Reproof is part of this correction process. Reproof is part of making a change that's going to last. Not just, you know, doing it halfway and trying to get a quick fix and a band-aid and hopefully move on. It's much more than that. And we'll talk about more of this, uh, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for all that you've given to us and what uh, you show us from your word. Pray, Lord, that we would just have this desire from what we heard tonight to be in our um, our Bibles that you've given to us, that we would desire for teaching and for learning according to your will and according to your ways, that, Lord, we would please you and honor you. And, Lord, when we do go astray, when we do err from the path, when we sin, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just convict us. I pray that we won't be so hardened against him Pardon against your word that we would scorn away that which you use to perfect us. But Lord, we would desire it, desire to use it in our lives, Lord, that we would please you. Thank you again for those that are here. I pray you protect us and keep us safe as we go home tonight. And all of this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.